What disease do you need to have that requires for you to have committed a crime to acquire? You know, it's an interesting question because the answer to this is illicit drug dependency. Now, not everyone is going to agree with this if you don't buy into addiction as being a disease. But just for reference, the American Medical Association and the American Psychiatric Association have classified addiction as a disease, and Congress acknowledges alcoholism as a disease. Not drug addiction, because I believe of the legality behind the drugs. You know, they probably have to reevaluate prohibition on drugs if they called heroin addiction a disease. Now, I will admit that the criminal justice system did save my life in 2001 and 2002. There was no stopping, and I was headed downhill fast, and I needed something, someone to help stop this. But I will say that the police, district attorneys, and judges were far from someone who I would say were looking out for my best interest. In fact, I despise them. It was a game of cat and mouse, as I describe in my book. My guest today, and I am so honored to have him come on our show, is the man who changed my perception of that world. His name is Judge Stephen Bromberg, and you do not want to miss this. I'll see you in a second. McCoy, and welcome back to High Wall Clean. You know, in 2009, I opened a facility in Anaheim that was, I guess you could probably say, the most rewarding facility that I could imagine. And the passion that drove me stemmed from my experience trying to, I guess you could say, meander through the hurdles of the legal issues that I dealt with. So I decided that I wanted to create a program that offered the same services that you would get in a very expensive program at a cost that was more reasonable than your typical $20,000, $40,000 a month, and even more at times. And I had the passion, but I had no idea how I was going to do this. And one idea that I had, which I was unsure on how well this was going to actually work, was to walk into each courtroom in Orange County and give my card to the bailiff as I requested to meet with the judge. Now, with all my years experiencing the courts as something ugly, you know, I remember having this knot in my stomach and nothing was comfortable about doing this. And as I teach for New Creation College, this reminded me of this idea of behavioral psychology, which, you know, according to them, behavior is learned. Classical conditioning 
refers to what happens prior to learning that creates a response through pairing. And it was first introduced by Ivan Pavlov and his famous dogs. And during my entire life, I paired the court as a place of punishment. And as Pavlov, what he did, rang the bell, causing the dogs to salivate, I would see a bailiff, I would see a judge or a district attorney that caused my stomach to ache. My chest would tighten. And about three months into working on this with my program, I came across a judge. And honestly, probably the first judge who seemed to actually be interested in what we were doing. And I remember sitting down with him for the first time and expecting the typical, what do you do? How does it work? And thank you, the bailiff will see you out. <laughs> but I didn't get that response. And my guest today is Judge Stephen Bromberg, which is currently a trial judge at Central Court in Santa Ana. And after that first meeting, we started going to lunch periodically, and I realized something about judges, that they are humans too. <laughs> and he was interested in learning about addiction. And I saw someone who actually cared about people, and he changed my view of the court system. Judge Bromberg, I want to thank you for joining me today. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, and I see you're uh, sitting in your uh, courtroom. Well, I'm in my chambers. I'm in my chambers. In your chambers, sorry. Yeah. Now, you and I spent a lot of hours, um, you know, going to lunch, and and um, I always really enjoyed those lunches because your opinion, your knowledge, and your view of things really meant something to me. I consider you a friend. I consider you a mentor and even a father figure. You know, I had when I had many times I was uncertain on things or I questioned my own judgment. My first thought was, I need to meet with the judge. <laughs> and I think you were probably the first person that I felt, especially in the criminal just, justice system, that was non-judgmental. Can you imagine a judge as non-judgmental? <laughs> That's different, isn't it? Yeah. Uh -huh. You even came to my wedding in 2016. You know, back when I met you, you were the supervising judge in West Court. And ran the arraignment court and sitting on that bench. And I'm assuming that you saw a lot of the same faces over and over and over again. Did that make you cynical? You know, that, that you're not the first person to ask me that question. And, and, and here we are now I've been on the bench for 16 years doing felony trials and people say, are you cynical? I haven't gotten there yet. You know, my joke about that is the day I get cynical in this job, that's the day I open up a flower shop, or go to work, at least go to work in a flower shop. Now, doing this kind of work, you really can't get cynical if you're going to do it the right way. Yeah. Yeah, I have had experiences with, you know, some of the judges, even in Orange County, that obviously were very cynical. And, you know, I said in a brief intro and what disease do you need to have that requires for you to have committed a crime to acquire? And the answer to that, and what I had actually stated was illicit drug dependency, you know, because, you know, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association classified drug dependency as a disease. And I wanted to get your opinion on this. Um, you know, I'm not sure your theory on addiction, 
being a disease, but I was very curious on your thoughts about possession of drugs. Where do you stand on the legality of it? Not sales or crimes, but just straight possession. Well, I would, I would, I would love to spend about three hours and talk to you about that, but you know, it's, it's a, it's an issue that I'm not even permitted to, to engage in at this point as much as I would love to. But let, let me get to the other side of your question, if I can. Would that be okay? Absolutely. Yeah. So when you and I met, you're right, I was I had the felony arraignment court. Um, and when you have the arraignment court, and for most people, I think probably know, that's when someone comes in. It's their first appearance in court, generally, and they've been charged with a crime. And I would... West Court was a busy place, and um, we had two felony arraignment courts. I had one of them. We had anywhere from 85 to 150 cases a day. So we were, we were busy. And one thing I realized, because I came from the civil world, I, I spent 35 years as a lawyer. Uh, 25 of those years were in civil practice. So I'd been away from criminal cases for a long time. And I had heard all about, oh, my goodness, about drug addiction, everything else. And you know, it's like, oh, yeah, those people, those people with drug addiction. Yeah, right. Disease? No, I don't think so. Okay. That's how I came into the world of, of criminal. Then it, I, I realized something, that although there was a large percentage of drug cases that would come before me on a felony level, um, it was not a huge percentage. But what I realized was about 85% of the cases that did come before me may not have been drug cases, but had a drug component to them. The person was a drug addict, got involved in robbery, got involved in domestic violence, got involved in burglary, got involved in the car theft, whatever. Pick, pick a topic, right? Um, but there were no drug charges. And over doing this just a couple of years, started to, I started to realize that yeah, this, this is definitely a sickness. This is a, this is a disease. We know that. So where do we go from here? So, and that's when somehow or another, you and I touch bases at some point. Yeah. 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 I, one thing I noticed about you was you always looked at, even with sales charges, you know, that you looked at the idea of, is this to support your own habit or is this to, um, or is this something that you're just strictly doing to harm people? And I, and I know you kind of, you know, thought about that. Does that make sense? That, that, that even to this day, I don't, again, by the type of cases that I do, um, I, I don't see a lot of drug cases any, any longer. Mm -hmm. um, but when I do see them, they're just what you're talking about. And there's really no distinction in the law, pretty much. Uh, if you, it's, well, there is a distinction, but it's not used that often. Um, when you have somebody who is, and you, you and, and I have the confidence level that they're using it, they're selling it to use as opposed to selling it to buy a house on the hill. Um, yes, that makes a huge difference as to the way I might look at something. Um, and because now you're dealing more with drug addiction than you're dealing with someone who's out there solely for the gain of profit. And that's it. Mm -hmm. and to me, that's, that's pretty defining. Yeah. You know, back when that realignment thing was going on, right. Which for the listeners was, you know, the solution that the state of California had for eliminating the overcrowding of prisons. Now it sent 
everybody without a violent offense or a prior strike back to county. And I know now there's no cap on county. Is that still? Right. The, yeah. I, right. I remember there was the story of some guy getting 18 years in county. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, it, it, the, whole, the whole system has changed. And you know what? It's, it's still a moving target, candidly. It's still, but yeah. 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 But one thing that did do was it did open the opportunity for some who, and I remember Judge Prickett telling me this very, very often that the person is statutorily ineligible for probation. I used to hear that all the time from him. And it was during this time that more were given the opportunity for treatment, but long executed suspended prison terms, which you would think would have a huge impact on people following the rules. But unfortunately, you know, in a lot of cases it didn't. And what did you think about that process? You mean statutorily being uh, not eligible for probation? No, the long executed suspended prison terms. Oh, oh, okay. Well, defense <laughs> lawyers hate it. Oh my God, defense <laughs> lawyers hate it. Because if, if, if folks don't know what we're talking about, let's just say hypothetically someone, in the type of cases we're talking about, California Penal Code sets out what we call determinate sentencing. And determinate sentencing is generally there's a triad. There, uh, it could be, let's say, two years, four years, or six years. And that's up to the judge to make a determination if there's a conviction based on the severity of the case and a, a lot of mitigating factors and aggravating factors. Lots of stuff goes into that. Okay. So what we call the, the uh, ESS, the executed sentence suspended, is here's the conversation that I would have with the defendant if we're going to do it. You're kind of making a deal with the devil. Because, uh, and, and, and devils don't always come in black robes, all right? So here's the deal with the devil. Normally, I would sentence you to prison for two years on this case, but I'm going to give you probation uh, because I think that you can be helped out there, and I want to give you a chance. But if you violate it and you mess it up, you're going to go to prison for six years instead of two years, or you're going to go to four years. It's going to be more than two years, and you're going to be on probation for three years, so you've got three years to make sure you do not mess this thing up. That's the executed sentence suspended. I use it very, very sparingly. Defense lawyers hate it. It's kind of their, the, with the defendant, their back is to the wall. It's either, okay, go to jail, go to prison now for a limited period of time, uh, do my time and get out, or I get out today. But if I mess up in the next three years, whoa, better hang on to something tight. Okay. So you, you see the rub. It's, it's hard. And candidly, if I didn't think a person was going to be able to do it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it to them. I would not set them up for failure. I can't, I can't do that. Uh, that would just be against everything I stand for. But if I see someone who's kind of on the ropes a little bit and they've got a shot, and believe me, my, my, I think you've heard, not to you, but you've heard me talk about the deal with the devil with people you would bring into my courtroom. And you've heard me go into very serious depth with that. And it's enough to give someone pause and think about it. But you also know um, if you were a drug addict, uh, you're going to pretty much agree to anything at that point in time. So I had to get past that too. And one thing I learned in this job is that when you're dealing with people who are addicted, um, it's not going to happen overnight. They're not going to get well overnight. It could take 10 times before they get well. 
So just because someone comes in and they were violated for probation because they were now in possession of drugs, um, I, most likely I would not violate them and send them off to prison. I, I, there was a whole method and each case that I would do would be, um, it's not, it was not standardized by any stretch of the imagination. It was customized for each individual. And that's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. If you're going to, if you want to try and make something like that work, that's exactly how you have to do it. I got to tell you, um, look, I'm not going to kid myself and I'm definitely not going to kid you. Mm-hmm. The chances of, of recovery are, are hard. I mean, it's very, very difficult. So the incentive has to be there. Unfortunately, many of our incentives have been taken away. Remember the old Prop 36, the PC 1000. They're still kind of out there a little bit, but they're, they've been watered down. They're, they're not all that strong. So these will usually come into a situation where someone is charged with something other than just drugs. And it's going to be a robbery, a burglary, or maybe possession for sale where someone's going to use. Mm-hmm. So each the, 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 the key to, to success on that in my mind, was to always look at the individual. If it's not going to work, don't set them up for failure. Just just take care of business and move on. That's what you got to do. But if it could work, yeah. And you know what? I've had a lot of success. I've had more successes than I ever thought I would because I think of the way I approach it. And it's good. It's a, I wouldn't want to be on the other end of it. It's hard. Very hard. I can't, I, I can't, you and I have talked about this before. I cannot relate to being a drug addict, okay? I know drug addicts, all right? I know recovering drug addicts um, just by the nature of what I do. I cannot relate to the feeling. Nobody can. I once kidded you at lunch. I said, you know, Eric, and I had a real serious face. I don't know if you remember this. We were at Original Mike's. And I said, you know, I'm getting these cases with, with meth and I'm hearing about the euphoric situation here um you know i'm thinking i want to try it remember that <laughs> you remember that and and you and you you were both there okay and you just stared at me and he go and you went are, are, are you serious I go, yeah I, I just want to try it once now i, I believe me i could have written a book on meth at that point all right and you looked at me oh my god did you go after me don't even think about it judge I, please you, you, you we got to talk about this we, we really got to talk about this Anyway, I'll never, I tell that story over and over again. So, yeah, but I can't relate to it. Yeah. And I'm not going to relate to it by trying it, I promise you. So, <laughs> But I thought I would get your attention now. Yeah, I think, I think this really shows the epitome of addiction. You know, if you have somebody that comes into your court and they're looking at 10 years, 12 years, I remember there was even 15-year, like, ex- executed, suspended sentences, and they make that choice or they make that drive. And, and the true diagnosis of drug dependency is you continue to use despite negative consequences. And that's the scary part. I remember a guy that I brought into, well, I didn't actually bring him. He was in custody, but I went to your courtroom and we went back in your chambers with the district attorney and his attorney. And I remember you, I went down and I, I had assessed him and I remember you looking at me and saying, all right, I want to hear from you. And you asked me, you know, what your thoughts were. And, you know, I said, well, I said, you know, I think, um, you know, I think this guy's got a chance. I mean, he sounded good. You know, that's always the thing. They, they sort of sound good. 
And you, you know, I remember you looking at me and said, you know what, here's what I'll do. I'll give him two years in prison or a 12 year executed suspended sentence. And I don't, I don't know if you remember this story, but I, but you, you're, you told me you're going, I want to tell him this. And so you walked out and you looked at him in the, in the, in the chambers and you said, all right, here's the deal. Two years in prison. And he would have been out. And I think he had enough time. He'd been out like six months or I'll give you a program, but you're going to sign on a 10 year prison term or a 12 year prison term, whatever it was. But I don't want you to tell me now. I want you to think about it overnight. And I want you to come back tomorrow. And I remember this so clearly because I went down to the jail that night to Theo Lacey to uh, assess him or not to assess him, to meet with him and try to convince him to do the prison time. You know, I literally was there trying to convince him and he was like, no, I can do this. I want to do this. And, um, and you gave him a year program. He had to do an entire year in the program. He lasted six months and then he was gone, you know, and you knew it. And I know you knew it, you know, in your, in your mind, because of this guy's history, you know, as you, you looked on paper and you saw this, you know, um, and that was crazy. You know, that was definitely, uh, um, I guess the epitome of that executed suspended sentence. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll tell you that that was a heavy sentence. It was. Um, and it's unusual that I would put that long of a gap in between them, but I, but I had done that in the past. Um, it's rare that I do those now as time has gone by because I think, and you take someone like me who tries to wrap around the whole idea of addiction as much as I, can know, I will never know enough and I'll never feel it. And, um, that, that fellow was a perfect example of that. And it was a heavy sentence, but it was, it was an unusual circumstance with him. Very, very, very different. So, so sometimes it works and sometimes the addiction as I have found and people who are addicted well know that if that moment hits, nothing you can do about it. At, the, at that moment, at least that's my sense of it. That's my sense of it. Yeah, the one thing that, you know, and I always said I like this about you. I mean, and, you know, you, I think you really upheld this, but you always upheld your word, you know. And, you know, you would typically, in, in most cases, at least what I saw, you know, that you would um, give them a clear boundary. This is what you're getting. This is the deal. You get a program. If you screw up, and this is what you're getting. And, uh, and I know you held up to your word on that. And I know that, did you ever feel bad at times when you had to like stick to that word? Yeah. And uh, no, no question about it because candidly um, a lot of judges, when they would do this ESS that we've been talking about uh, if the person violated and not all violations are created equal, by the way, just because someone spits on the sidewalk or something like that, or, or commits a misdemeanor they're not going to go to prison for that whole time period. It's just not going to happen. But let's just take the situation where it's, it's a clear violation. It's a serious violation. Some judges, many of them, uh, I'm told, will, will back off of that heavier number and come up with a lighter number. I didn't do that. 
the, the reputation I had is, look, I, I expect people, I do what I say I'm going to do. I expect people to do the same thing. Um, sometimes dealing with folks who are addicted, that may be too heavy of a burden for them. It may be. So maybe the ESS is, is not such a good sentence for them. And I learned with drug cases, um, when we used to send pr people to prison regularly for drug addiction, which we don't do that so much right now. You don't see that a lot, if at all. Um, I backed off from that a little bit. When it came to other types of crimes, not so much. Even to this day, I will do um, an ESS or an executed sentence suspended on a non-drug related case, for example, uh, depending on circumstances. But again, each one is customized with the idea that you're gonna succeed, not fail. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Yeah, we, and that's what I teach to, you know, clients is that, you know, you, you know, we set a rule or you set a rule. This is, this is the boundary. You know, if you cross this, this is uh, what you're going to get. I mean, that's what real life is. Sure. You know, sure you, it is. I mean, you, you have rules, you have guidelines, you know, and, and uh, you know, just as we all do that, that, you know, we know not to do this and not to cross this. And if we do, this is what's going to happen. And uh but yeah, Sid, when you're dealing with drug dependency, it, it definitely, you know, you look at my story, you know, 2001 and being arrested four times in six months, you know, I got arrested post bail, got arrested post bail, got arrested post bail, you know, and got arrested, you know, um, and, uh, and that is the epitome of addiction there. You know? And that's it. You, and, and I think when you and I first met, um, <laughs> I remember when I was at West Court, I received uh, something from you in the mail. And, it was, and I looked at it. I didn't know who you were at that time. And I looked at it and I said, oh, it's another one of those flyers for, okay. And I, and I threw it away. And I got a call or an email from someone we both knew at that time and said, by the way, um, you're going to get something from Eric McCoy. Remember that name. And here's what it's all about. And I said, funny, you just called. I just threw this thing away. She says, you want to pull it out and take a look at it? And that's that's where you and I started. And um, how about that for fate, right? So, yeah. yeah, sure. You know, it's funny. I I think about this, you know, obviously my relapse in 2013, you know, when I when I had relapsed and out right. on a six-month run. And I remember notifying you. You were the only person, you know, that I, I, uh, I told, you know, um, through email you know, about that situation, which again, kind of goes back because I always felt you, you as non-judgmental, you know, um, obviously if it was, if I had a legal issue and was standing in front of you, that'd be a different story. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I always, I don't know. I always felt that about you, you know, it was, uh, it, it was, and I, you know, I've told people that before and they're like, man, that's crazy. That's weird. You know, you'd notify a judge. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you and I got, I've always had a special relationship. And, and, um, I, and I remember, I remember actually the booth we were sitting at the restaurant when you told me about it. I, re I remember it very well. And, you know, I kind of got a chill when you told me. Um, but by that point in time in my life, yes, I was surprised, but not terribly surprised only because of my then understanding of addiction as what it was, let's say even five years prior to that, 10 years prior to that. So, yeah. Yeah. Now you remember Spencer. I think we had talked about sure. this. Yeah. You know, Spencer. Spencer's in prison, you know, yeah. he, he got um, 10 years, eight months 
for two back-to-back sales cases um, that he sold to informants or police officers. And, um, and then of course had a prior strike. So he's actually in prison. Uh, Hopefully he's getting out next year. He's been in there for a long time. Um, And, uh, and I don't know if I ever told you and um, you know, I'll say this on here, but I was a big factor for that relapse for him. You know, he had about 10 years clean um, and I put it in front of him, Um, you know, and now I obviously went down a different path and ended up, uh, you know, going to rehab where he didn't, Um, you know, he can, he continued down that road, um, which, and, you know, and he looks at it too, in the sense that, you know, I, I'm at fault. I mean, this is my responsibility. I chose, I could have said no, you know, Um, but yeah, that's, I, I, that still kills me, you know? Well, you know, no, I didn't, I didn't know about that. I did not know about that, but at the same time, look, and we've all this, it sounds like a broken record, right? When I say, hey, we all make choices, right? Okay, you use that a lot. I know, we, we all do. I, you, but it's true. I'm sorry, but we all make choices. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember Spencer well. He, he appeared in my court when he was doing his thing uh, as, as a representative of the facility he was working at, mm-hmm. uh, not as a defendant. And uh, had the highest regard for him. I remember you telling me that he went off to prison. Um, but I didn't know that, that, that personal side of it, but you know, he, he made that choice. Mm-hmm. He, he really did make that choice. And, um, that was a different situation. Everyone's a different individual. And, um, when I see somebody who is truly, truly interested, not just like when someone's in jail, what's the first thing you want to do, right? Get out, get out. whatever it takes, get out. Okay. When I see somebody who's really, truly interested um, and say, you know, I say, how old are you? You know, and I say, is this stuff getting old already? Yeah. And I keep trying. I've been through rehab eight times. It's not working. I go, let's go with number nine, see what happens. Okay. Let's try number nine. And it's, it's just amazing how many times it does come back. If the people are treated properly, they go to the right facility. They know how to do it. It can work. The percentage is low. I understand that. But again, we don't throw everyone down the tube just because. And that's why I think some of the laws have changed. I don't agree with all of the laws that have changed. So what? I follow the laws. It doesn't make any difference. But Spencer, it was unfortunate what happened with him. But did he have a choice? I mean, the argument can be because of his addiction, what he was going through, he didn't have a choice. That's one argument. But then you look at the gravity of the crimes that were involved. I don't know anything really much about it other than that it carried a heavy sentence, which tells me there was a lot involved. So there's a mix and match there, you know, and it's not going to work the same for everybody. I I get that. Uh, It's not luck of the draw. I mean, someone has to really, really want it. I mean, you, 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 you are the textbook example for all this stuff. And when you told me that, that you had had, uh, regressed back, I, I was really surprised, but then again, I realized, yeah, this could happen to anybody, anybody. And are there consequences? Sure. Consequences are out there. But. Yeah, I was lucky. I mean, this, you know, for me, you know, this was the first time in my life that I got clean again without having to get arrested. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that something? You can't, but you, see, when you go back to Spencer, you can't beat yourself up over that. Right. You know, and we're not having a therapy session here, okay? <laughs> but you, you can't beat yourself up over that. You didn't make that 
ultimate choice. Sorry, you just didn't. Okay. And, and Spencer had the same tools that you had. And not everybody has those tools. You know, so you got one path, you had another path. Uh, does that mean when he gets out, he's going to be totally screwed up? No, of course not. Not at all. Yeah, he was a solid guy. You know, he Very definitely solid. was, was uh, had a great recovery, had a great program. And, uh, but this, it does happen, you know. And, and that just shows you that um, the old thing, day by day, minute by minute, can happen to anybody. Yeah. Sure. So now you are um, in central court. And this is the one thing that I, and I think I asked you this before, but this, I always think that you are just a sick person because, <laughs> because of the, the things that you sit through. Now you're, you're obviously uh, doing trials and I know felony trials primarily right. um, of some of the ugliest cases, murder, rape, Sexual assault, child molestation, sure. Yeah. How do you do that? You know, my, <laughs> my, my, my joke, and it's really a joke, okay? It, it really is. Uh, we have 127 judges in the Orange County Superior Court. We're the third largest court system in California, the sixth largest in the United States, served on the board of directors of the California Judges Association. I really, this is after 35 years of law practice. Uh, that's unusual. It's unusual. I get on the bench at age 61. Um, there are 14 of us that do the type of work that I'm doing. And my joke is you don't get to do this job just because you're good looking. Right. It's, it's, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you have to want it. Yeah. And it's a very coveted position being a judge on the felony panel because we do see the ugliest of the ugly. We see the nasty. We see, we see victims. Um, we listen to victim impact statements. And we see some pretty horrendous stuff. So how do you do that? I don't know. Uh, I really I thought about that. I go home and I'm, I'm just the happiest guy. Uh, I watch TV. I got my dog on my lap. Uh, maybe it's because I came from the South Bronx or grew up in a blue collar neighborhood in LA after that. I don't know. Um, but I, I think it's, and, and every judge that I know that is on felony panel, it's the same way. No, we don't wear this like a badge. We don't go, go, oh, I'm, look what I'm doing. Yeah, this is what we do. It's, 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 has to, it's work that has to be done and it has to be done fairly. It has to be done judiciously. And you can't throw politics into it. Look what we're dealing with now with politics, getting thrown into the mix of everything. We can't do that. So all I can say is that it's all, it's in my DNA, I guess. I don't know. That's the only, that's the best answer I've got. And judges who don't want to do this work by no means are asked to do this type of work. Some judges won't even go near this. And there are some jobs that they have that I would not go near uh, if I could help it. So I don't know. Yeah, I remember. I remember you saying that it was something that you had to sign up for a request. Yeah, and yeah. I waited five years to get this job. Yeah, because nobody who's on here ever wants to leave it. Yeah, I remember. I remember one time I, I came into your court. We were going out to lunch, and and uh, I saw part of the. I think it was the very end of the trial. Um, there was a lot of communication, and and. Uh, and then I think you sentenced the guy to a life term. It was 15 to life or something. Um, and it was regarding uh, 
molestation rape, some something of that nature. And I just, I remember sitting there thinking like, my God, how does Judge Bromberg just not fly over that bench? And <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, well, it's, it's, it's challenging sometimes. It, it, it really is. But, you know, um, my job, and any judge's job anywhere in this country uh, is different. You know, the, we, we have so much politicism involved in our lives we, it's nothing new it's just more so now and a lot of folks don't understand that you know you've got your executive and legislative branch of government those are politics and they're always, always doing something political everything they do is political and they don't deny it i mean that's what they're supposed to do we are by law non-political we are apolitical you gotta be colorblind in everything that we do and that's why anyone who walks into my courtroom anyone who's ever been here will never say they've never been treated with respect. They, everyone here gets treated with complete respect, uh, even at the time of sentencing. Um, and they're sent off to wherever they're going to go. So that's just how you do it. And if you can't do that, you should be doing something, doing a different type of job as a judge. And nothing wrong with that. Do you ever feel that the um, jury gets it wrong? You know, I've got to tell you, um, I'm not cynical. But, you know, as, as, a, as a civil attorney, um, it was all about mouthing and mouthing and mouthing and trying to convince people in front of a jury, you know, to, to give your client money or don't make them pay money, depending on who you're representing. I got to say, for the most part, the large, large majority, high 90 percentile, I think the jury is getting it right. And um, maybe it's Orange County. I don't know. I, I can't quantify that. I really can't. But I, I have, I, I've sat through some trials, some, and I'm going, wow. Because, you know, when a case comes to me, I know very little about it. Uh, we, don't, we don't have, a, most of my cases are not here um, from the beginning to the end. I have a few like that. But they're sent up today, and we start trial tomorrow. And I know what the lawyers tell me about the case. That's the way it's supposed to be. And as I'm listening to the trial, I'm saying, wow. Um, I'm wondering about this thing. Did they get the right guy? You know, that kind of thing. And that's happened probably a half a dozen times. And each of those times, a jury comes back with a not guilty. So they got it right. So I have more faith in the jury system as a judge than I did as a lawyer. Because I really get it. Because here, I've done over 300 trials. Lawyers don't get to try that many cases except over 20, 30 years. So, and again, maybe it's Orange County. You know, we've got a lot of smart people out here that sit on these juries. Doesn't mean they get them right all the time. Does not mean that by any means. But yeah, I think, I think I've, I've got confidence in them. I do. And I spend a lot of time with the juries before they are even selected. I spend maybe an hour or more with them talking about presumption of innocence, how the process works. Because candidly, my reputation uh, amongst lawyers, I'm told, as a, as a sentencing judge, is I'm tough. I might be the toughest here. I don't know, but that's what I hear that because if you've done it, okay. Um, then you, you pay the consequences for it, but if there are mitigating circumstances, that'll happen too. If, if a jury gets it wrong or you believe that a jury gets it wrong, can you do something? No, no, no. The, the remedy at that point is appeal motion for new trial if there was some error somewhere along the lines um 
that happened during even right up into closing argument where something might have not been appropriate, proper, or even legal. And the defense attorney, uh, and, and it was a conviction, the defense attorney can make a motion for a new trial. And I can hear that. And if I feel it's strong, I can grant that motion for a new trial. It's rare, candidly, um, but I can do that. That is an option. The only way, other way is uh, an appeal. Contrast that to civil cases. At the end of, let's say, a civil case goes on for three months, and the jury comes back and makes a finding of liability or fault as to the defendant in the case, judge can kick it out just like that. Yeah, not in criminal cases. Though. I know you're on limited time here, so I want to um, I want to ask you a question, and this is something that I ask most of the people that I talk with. If you were to say something to the people out there that are struggling with substance abuse, what would you tell them? Well, um, you're, you're asking the guy in the black robe to tell him when it's, it, I, first of all, I'd say, go talk to Eric McCoy or somebody who does what he does, um, who really knows this. Um, seriously, I mean, it's, if, you, if you're out there and you're having that issue, listen to what I've just been saying. You know, uh, ju judges are people too. You know, we have families. Um, we think not necessarily all that different than you might think. Um, but something's happened in your life that's caused you to become addicted, whether it's alcohol or drugs. Uh, you have gone down that road. And once you're addicted, you can't shut it off. I don't have to tell you that. You know, you can't shut it off like a water faucet. It just can't happen. And someone has probably told you before, go get some help. And that's where you've got to sit back and think and really try not to do this on your own, because that's where I see most people fail, where they try and do it on their own because they think they're strong-willed. You're not strong-willed if you're addicted and you're using right now. You're just not. I'm sorry. You're not strong-willed. And you do need to get some help. And you need to listen to people who have been down this road before, not someone who's learned it in a book. Uh, learning it in a book is fine. Um, but they should carry the water of the people who have been down that road and been that road on hard times. And if you get it, um, give it everything that you've got. And don't be surprised if it doesn't work the first few times. And let's also hope that if it doesn't work the few first few times, you haven't done anything that's going to cause you to be incarcerated. Because you're incar if you're incarcerated, God help you, you're not going to get much help in the way of uh, assistance with your drug habit in prison. You'll get some, but it's nothing like you can get right now. And hopefully you have family support. It's hard on your families. Think about that. Just think about what you're doing to your families if you're, if you're going through this right now. And you will have an excuse and a reason for everything. I know that. So, okay, get past it. Just get past it and talk to uh, uh, a facility, a rehab agency, but I hate to use the word agency. Agency, that's, that's almost a dirty word. Um, is, is it expensive? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, it's expensive. Uh, hopefully you've got medical insurance. If not, you made the choice to get where you are right now. It may sound a little cold, but go out there and look for the help. Find the help. And you know, if it doesn't work the first time, go somewhere else. You can do it because I've seen people come over. I'm talking to a guy right now 
who's done it. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, I got a podcast that I'm going to be doing on Thursday with a father of a guy who's uh, in prison in Nebraska. And, um, and I've actually been communicating with his son. We've been communicating over that online JPay, you know, service they have now. Um, and uh, it's been great. I mean, you know, and he's really been open and he's, you know, trying to figure himself out. And he's, he's uh, you know, he, he's concerned, obviously, when he walks out those prison doors, what is he going to do? You know, which is the same fear I had, you know, when I, when I sure. left custody. Because um, my, my past did not show anything good. Um, but, um, but as I always like to say, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it, but you do have to fight for it. And that's exactly what it takes because someone will help you, but you are the one that's going to be ultimately responsible to make that happen. And you do have to fight for it. You do. Oh, 110%. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of High Wall Cleaning. It's really awesome to say that me and a judge got high today through conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But another episode of High Wall Cleaning. Keep getting high, but let's do it clean. I'll see you soon. Thanks. Darkness.